Hi everyone, Emily here today. Uh, it is April 21st. We are almost at the new moon and it is snowing outside with accumulation on the road. So, you know, we're trying to go not too crazy with the quarantine and having the kids at home and not going outside makes that a little bit more tricky. So very looking forward to warmer weather. But today I have for you a beautiful story of healing from my friend May. She is a Muslim homeschooling mama originally from Palestine. She has two beautiful boys and she now lives in the Montreal area. So these birth stories happened in Montreal and the first one was quite a difficult experience where she was unprepared for the realities of hospital birth and she talks about her healing journey after a fourth degree tear and then the second birth of her son which was an empowered beautiful experience we don't actually go into too much detail of that birth story um, because there isn't anything very significant to share although in these days Uh, unmedicated normal births with no adverse events um, kind of are a special thing but enjoy the listen of this story may is at the same time gentle and loving and fierce and strong she always blows me away with the integrity with which she can hold all of these qualities A few notes before we start. Uh, There are some extra details about May's first birth that I add on at the end of the episode. If you're curious to know what actually happened and was not recorded in her medical notes. And also I wanted to say that you will hear my children on the main floor. I tried to record in the basement and uh, you kind of hear them in the background uh, going a little crazy. So that's, that's my raw mom life. All right, enjoy the episode. Be sharing your birth story, your birth experiences with your two beautiful boys. And um, I guess do you want to start even before your first birth and how what your preparation looked like and what you were expecting of like pregnancy and birth. Yeah. So um, when I first started trying to conceive, I had some difficulties with that. So I was basically your average citizen. I didn't know much about birth or pregnancy, but I come from a family that um, taught me, that birth is natural. There's nothing to fear. I've seen my sisters have their own kids. Everything was always smooth and um, they spoke about it positively. So they had had births in in hospitals? They had births in hospitals. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, So I always thought I didn't need to know much about it. Mm. It was going to happen naturally. And uh, yeah, I didn't really look into it so I started um, doubting myself when I was trying to conceive and I couldn't conceive and 
I had uh, some difficulties. I went to see my gynecologist. They ran some tests. They didn't know what was happening. They referred me to another gynecologist. So I've seen four gynecologists. Wow. And they did not know anything about my condition. Um, so they referred me to a fertility specialist in the Victoria Hospital. And they're considered to have a pretty good clinic there. So um, I was given an appointment fairly quickly. I was lucky for that. So I went and I saw him. And from our first meeting, from simple blood tests, they have decided that I was not able to conceive because I was infertile. Okay. French, yeah. And um, that I wouldn't be able to have kids unless I followed the treatments. And even if I was to conceive through treatments the first time around, I'd have to go back for a second treatment for any, like for the second pregnancy and so forth. Wow. And how long so, had you, were you trying to conceive? Um, a year. Okay. But we have to put into consideration that during this year, I did not get my periods for 10 months. Was it because you were on the pill before? Or... Um, I was on the pill before, but it was many years after I stopped it. Oh, okay. So the main reason basically was stress. Yeah. I was a full-time student in university. I was a full-time worker at the bank. Wow. And during that year, my mom got diagnosed with cancer. And it was pretty stressful. But according to all the doctors and the fertility specialists, stress had nothing to do with it. (laughs) So, yeah. So... They gave me that treatment plan. I went through it on the paper and he told me the nurse is going to explain to me everything. I walked out of his office. I didn't even go see the nurse. I threw the papers in a trash can and I walked out of the hospital. And I was like, nobody's going to tell me that they basically have control over my body telling me I cannot conceive. And if I want to conceive, it's their way or the highway. Oh my God, I've heard God, this makes me want to cry. <laughs> yeah, I was I was really sad because I, but that was the first eye opener, right? I've mm, never yeah I've been healthy my entire life. I've never been to doctors to appointments that many times. I I, I didn't have much experience with the healthcare system, right? Okay. That was my first real experience, and I walked out and I was like, I'm not doing that. So. That was the time where I started researching things and I discovered Chinese doctors. So I went to see a Chinese doctor. Uh, She gave me a bunch of herbs. She told me that um, the reason why I'm not getting my periods is because uh, I have like, you know, there are certain weaknesses in my body and I need to strengthen my kidneys and my spleen. I have to nourish them. I have to nourish my body and I have to reduce the stress. So at that time, it was about, it was in May. So I had finished my year in university and I decided to quit. So I went to work the next day and I was like, I quit. I'm not doing this anymore. It was very stressful to work at the bank. And that was in May. So in June, I get my periods after 10 months. (sighs) Right. And I was like, wow. So stress can only do so much, right? And did the the Chinese practitioner, the Chinese medicine practitioner, did they give you like herbs to take as well? Or was it like dietary? 
No, there were herbs that I had to boil and okay. drink. Okay. Like tisans. I know yeah. one of them was astragalus. The other ones, I don't even remember the names. They were very okay. complicated names. Yeah. And um, but I did not necessarily follow through. I drank, yeah, I drank a few times, but then I changed my entire diet and um, I changed my lifestyle. And around October, in, in September, I went to see a new gynecologist. So that's the fifth I see. And I told him, like, I wanted to do this naturally. He wasn't against it, but he wasn't for it. He told me, you can always try you know? Yeah. I'm not going to force you to take the medication that you're supposed to take. So I kind of, I appreciated the fact that he was open to the idea Mm -hmm. that I get to try. And I saw him in September. I went back in October. Um, I did not know I was pregnant Mm -hmm. because I was feeling really sick and the, uh, the pregnancy tests all came back negative. I had to do a blood test and um, they, they did an ultrasound and they found out that I was pregnant. So he was, pretty, yeah, he was pretty amazed. He was like, how did you do that? So I told him basically nothing fancy. I just changed my diet and I started exercising. Mm. And I quit my job and I'm not feeling as stressed anymore. And he was like, okay, that's good for you, you know? And so since June, did you have like a regular monthly period? Yeah. Every month until September and October? Yeah. Wow. Ever since I've had a regular period. It's mm-hmm. been uh, seven years now. So, um, yeah. So basically, I just got pregnant. I followed up with my gynecologist. Everything was normal. I had a normal pregnancy. Um, everything was nice and beautiful. Right. And Hmm. I still did not necessarily look into birth that much because I thought, you know what, I trust my doctor. He's open minded. He's he's very nice. I'm just going to, you know, go along with it naturally, the way it unfolds. So um, I remember at some point and your sisters did they give you like details of their birth did they they did it naturally did they have epidurals or they had epidurals okay um they did not necessarily have now that I think about their experiences they were not positive experiences but they do not necessarily interpret it that way okay so they did not like their experiences but they think that this is normal so when they speak about it, it doesn't necessarily come off so negative. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember during my first pregnancy, I was taking prenatal yoga classes. And mm-hmm. the teacher mentioned something about doulas. That was the first time I ever hear the term doula. And she explained it. But I remember at that time, I was like, I, I don't need a doula. You know, I have my mom. She's had eight kids of her own. I have my husband. He's very supportive. I like my doctor. Why would I need to hire a doula? Right. And your mom went to your sister's birth? Um, Most of them, yes. Okay. And I know she had many children herself. She had many children herself. And they were all hospital birth. Okay. Um, she, She did take the epidural for most of us. Wow. Yeah. 
And like I said, this is the normal for them. That's their normal birth. Yeah. Right? They, mm-hmm. they didn't know anything else existed out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So I was like, I don't need a doula. Everything's going to go fine. So everything went fine with me. I really enjoyed my pregnancy all the way to the end until that night where I started, uh, I was in labor. Mm-hmm. So I started having contractions. And so you had taken no prenatal classes like for birth preparation at none, all? None at all. Wow. At all. I did not even know that they were out there. Oh my gosh. Okay. Like I, I didn't even think I needed it. So I didn't look into it and nobody ever mentioned to me that there are classes um you know so it was like just your full trust in the doctor and that the process at the hospital happens well and and is is good yeah and like I said um I didn't have much experience um with the healthcare system okay yeah in my head you know what they're doctors they're nurses they know what they're doing and I trust them and we're gonna do that mm-hmm. so um yeah so i i went into labor and i called the hospital they told me to stay at home basically so i waited i slept that night and the next morning my contractions were getting ext- very intense um i went to the hospital they sent me back home they told me you're not ready so I stayed until the evening that night. I was in pain for over 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't sure what was normal pain or what was a contraction. It was my first time, right? And I mm-hmm. didn't really learn about it. I didn't, I, I knew nothing about it. So I just went with what everything that they told me. So that night around midnight, I couldn't anymore. I went back to the hospital my contractions were about uh, very intense at about every three minutes. And, um, you know, before you enter the maternity um, ward, mm-hmm. you, you have a waiting area, right? Yeah. So I had to wait in that waiting area. I was in so much pain. I was crying. And um, the nurse came. She saw me and she was like, you have to wait. We can't take you in. We had a busy night. There's no beds available, right? Mm. I was like, yeah, but I'm in labor. You can't keep me here. She was like, "Um, sorry, we can't do anything right now. So about an hour, an hour and a half pass, and my my husband couldn't take it anymore, so he went. And he was like, you're going to let me in. I want to talk to the nurses and the doctors. And I don't know what happened in there. I was just outside crying the entire time on my own. And I remember seeing one of the nurses just peeking at me every now and then. And she would see me in that state and nobody would come to talk to me or to make me feel like better, Mm. you know? So I felt already, I felt insecure. I felt like that was not a friendly place. So your instincts right away kind of changed. Yeah. Yeah, I felt it right away. I was like, they're, they're not, like, my, my, my first impression was, like, they're not nice people. I don't know if they were or they were not, but that was my first impression then. So I remember there was a woman that 
walked by she was just going to visit someone at the hospital and she saw me crying like that she came and she sat down next to me and she was calming me you know and I was like why couldn't the nurses do that they they saw me in that state and it was like we don't have time Mm -hmm. for you right so basically they let me in finally after my husband spoke to them and they told me I'm three centimeters open my contractions are you know pretty close so they're gonna give me a bed and um, I remember walking around to get to my room and there were some empty rooms Mm. so that was another clue I was like why why did they say there were no rooms available why did they say that and I couldn't let go of that you know and I was like, and my husband was telling me, like, just forget about it. Now we got our room, you know, we're here, we're going to do this, um, let go. Aww. And so when, yeah. so to know that you were three centimeters dilated, they, they had to check you, like do a vaginal exam. They, yeah. yeah, they did a vaginal and exam. And that was just like a nurse who, who did that and someone you didn't know? Yeah, yeah it was a nurse. Um, that's something that, that I find interesting because I've, I refused all vaginal exams. And I think you did too for the second one, <laughs> you know, second one. Um, and uh, even just that getting a vaginal exam in that state by someone you don't know is, yeah. is another yeah. extra thing. I mean, and get, unless you're like super trusting and open to any like nurse, then it's fine. But like, that's another thing that you have to do. You have to go on your back your legs open yeah yeah absolutely you know and it's like it's not comfortable yeah anyway (laughs) yeah but you know I didn't know I had the right to refuse vaginal exams no of course Um, I don't know I went through them yeah I went through them all of them with my gynecologist and when I was giving birth they checked me many times Mm -hmm. and I was okay with it because I didn't think I had a choice right Mm -hmm. so I thought that that's what needed to be done in order for me to give birth to my baby. Um, so we went along. Um, I asked for the epidural, although I remember going, knowing before getting into labor that I did not want the epidural. Mm-hmm. Now, once you're in pain and I was in a pretty vulnerable position where I felt like unsafe I did not feel safe mm-hmm. around the team that was there at that moment um, and I was like um, I'm gonna take the epidural because I don't really feel like anybody's gonna help me mm. to the same extent that they helped my sister the reason why I knew I didn't want to take the epidural is because my sister her second and third birth she refused the epidural and she encouraged me not to take the epidural. She told me that it's a whole, it's a different experience. And um, it's much better. She encouraged you without the epidural. Without it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I took the epidural. And they offered and... it to you? How did they offer it to you? Well, they offered it to me at the beginning when they did the exam, the vaginal exam. And they checked my contractions. And I remember saying no. I don't want the epidural. But I remember telling the nurse, if I want it, I'll ask for it. Mm-hmm. That's when they asked me. But once I was in my room, they did not necessarily ask me. I asked for it. Mm-hmm. 
So then I got my epidural and it was like magic, right? Mm -hmm. I did not feel a thing. (laughs) I was like, wow, I was in so much pain and now I'm basically on cloud nine, (laughs) right? I felt so happy. I was like, oh, I get to lie down. And the nurse, um, the nurse that I had, by the way, she was extremely rude, very rude. Um, she was not friendly at all, not considerate at all. And she was very rude to my husband, too. And at many occasions, my husband was about to, you know, speak back and fight. But I remember calming him down and telling him, please don't do that, mm. you know, because we don't. You're going you're gonna to speak back, and she's already rude. So I don't want any tension more than there is. Wow. Yeah. So I had to go through that, too. Like, I was in labor, and I had to, you're <laughs> to like go through the fact the that. Room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I remember after a few hours, it was, it was in the more early morning, so it was about 1 or 2 a.m., and um, my husband took a nap, and I took a nap as well. And my mom didn't make it yet. She told us, like, whenever um, you're close, just call me. She lived next to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So just give me a call, and I'll be right there. So, um, yeah. So we were sleeping, and all of a sudden, I see the nurse come in. Um, they were monitoring the baby's heartbeat right mm-hmm. and she started panicking and I just I woke up she 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 actually woke me up she told me sit up like sit up on your back and I saw her panicking and I was like what what's going on right and she she wouldn't she wouldn't reply back mm-hmm and I was like, okay, maybe she did not hear me. So I started waking up my husband that was next to me on the couch. And I was like, um, I think something's wrong, but she doesn't want to tell me. And then I see that doctor. <laughs> it wasn't my doctor. Because uh, when you birth at the hospital, you're actually pretty lucky if you get to your own doctor. Yeah. It's whoever's doing the shift that day or mm-hmm. night. So um she comes in and she tells her something like, um, let's prepare the papers and the room for a cesarean. So at that moment, I just, I I started shaking, shaking, shaking. I couldn't, I couldn't even breathe. She, she actually gave me the oxygen mask and she told me, take deep breaths, right? And my husband kept asking, like, what's going on? What's going on? Um, why is the doctor saying a cesarean? And then the nurse very rudely replied back to him. Um, she told him something along the lines that, like, whatever the doctor, like, whatever conversation happens between her and the doctor, it's none of his business. What? Yes. So... I was I was just there with my oxygen mask, trembling and it's not like and shaking. In a place to talk or make conscious decisions or stand up for yourself. That's no, what people don't exactly. understand. Yes, exactly. So, 
So now that and I, your husband that, has, you every see, it's right. like you think about that. He's like your family. He's like your next of kin. He has every right. Exactly. Adula doesn't, but so, the husband does. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of it gets worse. Right. And um, then he sees me. I'm shaking. I'm shaking. Until this day, he tells me I've never seen a human being this scared. Aww my whole life like he was like I don't know what happened to mm-hmm. you at that time but the way you were shaking from fear uh, and I was just I was just trying to focus to breathe yeah. into the oxygen breath I, I thought my baby was dying yeah. and nobody was telling me nothing yeah right so then his heartbeats um go get back to normal she I didn't need the oxygen mask anymore and and then she told me, okay, you're ready to push. <laughs> we'll start pushing. And, you know, I had, I had the epidural. I did not feel a thing. Mm-hmm. So she guided me through it. She told me, imagine that you're pushing, <sighs> you know, as if you're really constipated. And, you know, you're pushing all the pressure. You, you, you should feel the pressure in your anus. Yeah. So, and my husband was counting to 10. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So we followed the instructions. I was pushing. After about... Um, not even 15 minutes, I was crowning. I did not know what crowning was back then, but I remember her telling me, if you, you can touch your baby's head if you want. So, you know, if, if, if I could put my, he- my hand down there and touch my baby's head, um, I was doing pretty well and the baby was coming out. Mm. Like, you know, so then the doctor comes in and I remember from the beginning, I told them, I do not want an episiotomy. If I tear, I tear naturally. You told them that Nobody's cutting. Yes. I told them that straight up. I told her, write it down in case there's a nurse uh, change. And you guys have to tell the doctor. So you, you okay? knew enough to, uh, to say that? I knew enough to say that because my sister told me to say okay. that. Okay. <laughs> Because my sister, she had, she had an episiotomy, and then her second and her third, she refused it, and she allowed it to tear naturally, and she told me that it heals so much mm-hmm. better. So um, the doctor comes in, she tells me, stop pushing, right? Okay. And then from that, I stopped pushing, I put myself back, you know, I laid back, I was like, oh, I get to relax a bit, and um, my mom was next to me, she was like, um, she was just like playing with my hair and reading prayers mm-hmm. for me. And my husband was next to me holding my hand and they were both talking to me. And I don't know what happened in these few minutes right after she told me, <laughs> stop pushing. All of a sudden, my baby is right next to me on the bed. Okay, wow. Yes. For you, it just goes I blank. Was, it goes blank. And I... Until this day, even my mom, she's like, I have no idea how he was just out there all of a sudden. So we did not know what happened. I, I understood later, but I was like, whoa, like, what the hell is that? Right? Like, what is that that you guys just placed next to me? Yeah. yeah. And then the nurse, she took him and she placed him on my chest and my husband started taking pictures and you can see it in my pictures. <laughs> I looked pretty traumatized. I, I, I even though I, I, I didn't even feel like touching it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I was like, what, what is that? Yeah. 
you know, I was not ready. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so then he was on my chest and the doctor is still there. I can see her stitching. So I told her, what's going on? Is everything okay? You know, and her reply was, everything's okay. Nothing's wrong. Okay. That's what she told me. And I was like, okay, nothing's wrong. It's <laughs> just mm-hmm. what needs to be done. And I remember at that moment, the nurse just looked at her and she walked away to that to her station. She was writing stuff. And when the doctor was done and she walked out of the room, the nurse came to me. And I consider that the nicest thing she's done to me. She told me, by the way, you had a fourth degree tear. And that's the worst type of tear. Okay. So I just looked at her and I was like, what's a fourth degree yeah, tear? Yeah, you have no idea. I had no idea. I was like, okay, okay, that's okay. I, I can't feel it, so I'm good. <gasps> right. right. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't feel a thing. So I was like, I- I'm good, I'm good. And the baby was good. And I was good. Oh, my God. And it took about an hour before... You know, she dresses me and everything. Um, and they put me on a wheelchair and they took me to the to another yeah. room. And um, the nurses on the other side, they were very, very nice and supportive. Um, I felt like everybody felt bad for me. But I was like, why do you guys feel bad for me? Mm. You know, Um I'm good. My baby's good. We're happy. We're good. And one of the nurses, she told me like, oh, you had a fourth degree tear. Oh, my God. She was like, okay, we're going to take care of that. And I was like, okay, cool. You still don't Um, know really what that is. I had no idea. I had I did not even ask. I did not want to go into details. Mm -hmm. Right. I was in denial. Or you were trusting that they were telling you. Yeah, I trusted that. You yeah. know what? We're gonna take care of this. Yeah. They they know what they're doing. It was like they they um, knew you didn't, or you felt that they didn't need to tell you more because there wasn't more to tell. It was just like, well, it was that, and they would take care of it. So, exactly, exactly. I I had I had a lot of trust, mm-hmm. um, which is not a bad thing. I mean, there are some amazing healthcare workers out there that you can trust with your entire life. Mm-hmm. But I just, I should have trusted myself more, Mm -hmm. right? And yeah, so I spent three days at the hospital. And I I remember I wanted to to breastfeed. Um, I come from a family where we all breastfed. My sisters breastfed all of their kids. It was something very natural and normal to do, right? And um, there wasn't much, um, like there wasn't, there weren't enough nurses, I, I guess, to even check on us that often. But I was left to simply do things the way I thought they should be done. And I mean, my mom and my sisters came to visit. Everything was fine and I was breastfeeding fine except for one thing. Um, On the second day, when the pediatrician came to visit to check on the baby, 
the last time I had breastfed my child was like, let's say at nine, 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. And he came at 3 p.m. And he was like, it's been six hours. You did not feed your baby. I was like, well, he's sleeping and he wouldn't wake up. And that's day two. That's day mm-hmm. two. He's sleeping and he wouldn't wake up. And then he went crazy on us. He was honestly, he pretty much emotionally and mentally abused us. Oh my gosh. Big time to the point where he was asking me questions such as, are you Canadian? Because it seems like if you're not Canadian, you don't know what you're doing. And he also asked me, what is your level of education? Have you ever been to school? What? To that extent. Yes, because I I did not feed my baby in six hours. And I was like, weren't the nurses supposed to tell me that I was supposed to feed it every two hours? They came to check on me. They didn't say anything. Wow. Right? And yeah, I did not know. Well, we did not know any better. We were so tired. Well, I mean, it's also like... I've had some breastfeeding training and to me that doesn't seem too abnormal in the first like two or three days. Exactly. Now with all the knowledge that I've acquired, I know that it's not abnormal. (laughs) (laughs) But back then it seems like you have to feed your baby every two hours. If you do not, your baby's going to die. You know what I mean? And that's the message I got. And I was pretty traumatized about it to the point that I felt like I was killing my own baby. Oh, my God. God. And it manifested itself later, and I understood Mm -hmm. why I was overfeeding my baby. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, so I felt pretty, like, wow. And I remember that doctor, he went and he told the nurses, she's not allowed to leave today. She's not ready. (sighs) Keep her another day. Okay. And the nurses were like, okay, cool. So they kept me another day. And on the third day, he came again to check and I was feeding my baby every two hours oh I made gosh. sure like I did not sleep I was like I have to feed my baby every two hours I have to feed my baby every two hours <sighs> right and um the next the third day he came and I was breastfeeding while he came and then he um he told me like if one he said it this way he was like when you're gonna feed him formula this is how you do it. And I, I looked at him and I told him, I'm not going to feed him formula. I'm breastfeeding. And he looked back at me and he was like, yeah, okay, but I'm telling you, when you're going to do it, this is how you do it. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> like, wow. Um, okay, cool. And I looked at my husband and I remember laughing. I was like, okay. Like, he, he just does not want to understand that I just want to exclusively breastfeed. But I was like, yeah, whatever. So we went back home. And, um, you know, they send you a nurse to check on you a few days later. So when she came, um, I remember I remember telling her like so like easily. Yeah, I got a fourth degree tear. And she looked at me and she was like, wow, a fourth degree tear. Do you know what's a fourth degree tear? (laughs) And I was like, no, I don't. And she basically did like a diagram for me and she explained it to me. She was like, it's from your vagina all the way to your anus and it's pretty deep. So she told me like, you really have to take care 
of that area and make sure that it heals properly. Right. Yeah. And I was like, okay, they gave me like an antibiotic cream at the hospital to apply. Okay. (laughs) To make sure that it doesn't get infected. And I was like, that's basically it. And she told me you, she 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 told me she introduced me to sitz bath mm-hmm. and she told me you have to do that and it's beneficial to add some essential oils to it and um yeah so my my tear pretty much healed uh pretty well because i feel that i was i was pretty much in denial of what it was right and um i used to do my sitz baths for 20 minutes every like two hours. Wow, that's really good. Yeah, yeah, I, I really did it. Like I was like, uh, I was really worried that I would get an infection. Mm-hmm. So I really followed her instructions. And within two weeks, um, I didn't feel any pain anymore. I remember wow. the first two weeks. Yeah, the first two weeks, I took a lot of Tylenol to manage the pain. And I couldn't sit properly. I always, I had to constantly lie down on my side so you didn't move I around a lot too right you were just like no. at home yeah always. always and is that in your culture like something that your sisters and your mom did anyway is that like a very protected time the postpartum time yeah yeah so, so during my postpartum time I had a lot of support wow. yeah. where the family would come my mom shoot and my sister they would clean they would cook for us they would check on us my mom took care of uh, my my baby she bathed him she would dress him she would like they did a lot a lot of stuff that we did not have to worry about and they came every day every day yeah wow so I, th- I think that was part of why I healed quickly as well. Yeah, of course. Is that, you know, I had all that support and uh, I had the time to go for 20 minutes to sit on my sits bath every two hours. Wow. Right? Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So for, for that, yeah, so then. I think you're the only um, woman I know <laughs> out of all my mom friends who had that much support postpartum. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, in our culture, postpartum, the postpartum period is, is pretty important. So we get, we get a lot of support. And I think that helped me so much in terms of um, not getting, you know, in terms of not thinking too much about what happened to me at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Right? Because it could have it could have led me to postpartum depression pretty easily. Um, I mean, I've just told you part of the story. There's just so much mm. to it, and until this day, it was it was a violation of my rights. It was a violation of my body. <clears throat> Sorry, it was a violation of my emotions. Um, it was mental abuse. It was all of that. And I'm pretty sure it was racism. It was racism big time. It was discrimination because I am of what they call a visible minority. And I did not see it this way at first until um, I did my doula work and I started realizing that, yes, (laughs) a big part of it is discrimination. So 
it's pretty sad because you were wearing not- your um your hijab when you were at the hospital giving birth yeah well they knew me like I was wearing my hijab I went in with my hijab now while giving birth I don't have my hijab on okay right um and I wore the rope that they gave me and everything was normal but it was still um that was I I really do believe that that was a big factor Mm -hmm. in terms of how I was treated Mm -hmm. and um yeah so my postpartum period was very um relaxed um well at some point I had to take my my he was about two months and a half my baby to see a doctor because he was having uh projectile vomiting mm-hmm. right he would feed and then he would just throw everything back up and it was pretty like intense mm-hmm. you know so I went to see that doctor and he looked at me I remember he was so nice he just took me he hugged me and he told me you're doing a very good job mommy mm-hmm. you're feeding your baby very well to the point that you're overfeeding him that's why he's vomiting so it was like relax take a break you know you don't need to have your baby on your breast 24 7 feeding him so at that point I was like ah okay and then I realized I was like wow what that doctor said to us at the hospital really got to me Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was really um overfeeding my baby as a response, I really thought that if I did not, I was I wasn't doing well, yeah. and I was a horrible mother. How dare I, you know, starving my baby for six hours, you know? And and you're pretty much in a vulnerable state, and you have this little baby that you're responsible for, and to be guilted that you. you you might have harmed him. Like, I couldn't take that. Mm-hmm. Right? So, then I started realizing things. And at about three months, I started revisiting my birth story at the hospital on my own. Mm-hmm. Right? Little things started popping out every now and then. And I would just think about it constantly. But I never really had anybody to talk to mm-hmm. about it. Because almost all the women around me, they've had similar experiences. And it was like, it's normal. Just be happy. Your baby's good. You're good. And everything's good. Like, why are you holding on, Mm. you know, to that stuff? And I remember I couldn't let go. So by the time my, my first was nine months, I started looking up stuff. I was like, I want I want to know what a doula is. Yeah. I remember that day I just took my laptop and I was like I need to know what a doula is. I remember that term. Right? Mm-hmm. So I started exploring the idea and I read so much about it and and then I was exposed to midwifery and I was like wow, this is so beautiful. And then I started reading birth stories online mm-hmm. and seeing that a lot of women had experiences, pretty traumatic experiences. And, um, you know, I, I, I could relate and I finally felt that, wow, I could, I joined mom groups on Facebook and I was able to share my story. And then I understood that what I went through was not normal and it was not okay. Hmm. 
right? And I decided that I wanted to do my own doula training. I wanted to help women out there. So, and that's where I met you. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, I enrolled and I learned so much. And I remember even when I was taking these classes, I still did not know much. And until this day, I remember being somewhat pretty ignorant in terms of how things are and 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 can be yes and I was like wow like there's a whole world of possibilities and choices Mm -hmm. out there that I did not know about and that pretty much got me uh, pretty motivated to have another child so that I can try um, the other options Mm -hmm. Um, so while doing my training, I got pregnant with my second child and part of our training was to attend births. We had four mandatory births that we had to attend, Mm -hmm. right? And that was basically the first time I ever attend anybody else's Mm -hmm. birth. And I've seen it, I've seen it all. Like I have, I've attended a natural birth. I've attended a cesarean, two cesareans. Um, I've attended like a hospital birth and I've seen, and I started learning more and more about things. And I was like, wow, if, if all the women out there just knew that they had so many options and so many choices. Did you attend a, so many a midwifery birth? Um, not a midwifery birth, no. The uh, the only midwifery birth I had was my right. own, my second child. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so through that, I learned so much. And I was extremely confident in myself and in my ability to birth the way I wanted to birth, the natural way. And yeah, so with my second child, I... This time around, I had a midwife and I hired a doula. Mm. And um, so I gave birth at the birthing center Mm -hmm. with the midwife. And I remember I had absolutely no fears whatsoever. I had no fears. I did not even think through it. I was like, I'm going to go there. You know what? My body knows what it's supposed to do my baby knows what to do and I'm gonna birth and it's gonna be beautiful it's gonna be natural whichever way it unfolds right because now I had the power to choose and I made my choices um because you made informed choices informed choices exactly I've I've educated myself and that was something that I really appreciate learning is that I cannot depend on anybody. The only person I can depend on is myself, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I needed to educate myself and I needed to make informed decisions and choices by myself. I'm the only one that's going to live with these choices. So I needed to know my stuff. 
And how did you, and did I'm you have to deal with any fear about your tear or, I mean, I actually remember you in that second pregnancy, you were fierce. Like if I think yeah. of May when you were pregnant in that second, pre- it was, you were fearless. Like I'm answering my own question. Like if you, it seemed like you had no, absolutely no fear, even though that had been such no. a difficult first experience. Yeah. 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 I had absolutely no fear absolutely none um i i felt like you know knowledge is power mm-hmm. when you know your stuff there's nothing to fear that i knew what i wanted i knew how to get it mm-hmm. and i knew that even if i don't get what i wanted i knew how the other possibilities the other ways that it could unfold and i was comfortable with okay, it. okay so in your mind you had been like well this is my ideal this is what i want i know the way it looks when it goes badly and if that goes if that happens again then, then exactly and i knew i knew i had the right to refuse certain things mm-hmm. and i had the right to choose certain things i had i had all my stuff checked so i wasn't worried about nothing and you absolutely nothing you didn't have vaginal checks for that for that second birth no, nothing. I didn't have any ultrasounds. Didn't have any vaginal checks. Um, not nothing. Nothing at all. I, I used to just go to my checkups with my midwife. We used to like you know sit together for about an hour. Yeah. Um, she would check on me and just talk about things, and that's it. And um, and how did you know that? Because I remember when I went through my second pregnancy and, and learned about the ability to choose to not have any of that done it was still kind of mind blowing and like kind of like I was really stepping out there to make those choices. But looking back, it seems so normal and like obvious to exactly. not have anyone going yeah. up your vagina before the baby comes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It does. I knew about it through our doula training. I remember other doulas mentioning it and talking about it. And I remember our, our mentor and our teacher always she taught us that numbers don't mean much, okay. mm-hmm. right? So whatever they're checking for, it doesn't necessarily say anything mm-hmm. about where you're at in your pregnancy or your labor. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean much. So I really had that idea. And um, my midwife was pretty, like, awesome. She was so open and she was so accepting and non-judgmental and she was very like um okay it's it's your body it's your birth we're gonna do it the way you want it I'm not here to tell you what to do I'm just here to tell you what are the possibilities and you get to choose Mm. right and um I really felt safe with her because I remember telling her that like at some point I was doubting myself I was like what if not I'm not making the right choices yeah right and I remember her telling me, you follow your gut, basically. And as long as you do that, you will always make the right choice. Oh, wow. And she told me, yeah, and she told me, you know, we're always here to help you. And anytime you want to call and talk about it, or, you know, if you have any questions or any doubts, just ask me. Right? And... um I felt really safe with her. I felt like, you know, nothing can go wrong. And nothing did go wrong. Mm. Nothing did go wrong. It was it was an amazing 
birthing experience. And how was that and, for your family after afterwards, or when you chose the midwifery way? Um... They were they were actually really surprised that this was an option, and they were really excited to see how it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, she was really like supportive. She was like, wow, you're giving birth like my mom did. Oh, wow. You know? Wow. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, like it was, it was, it was so nice for the whole family to see it. And then when they came to visit at the birthing center and they saw me and they saw how they treated me mm. and the beautiful breakfast they offered me and how I looked so happy and relaxed and not tired. Were you at the Point Claire Maison de Naissance? Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah, that's such a beautiful place. That's where I gave birth to Leia. Yeah. 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 yeah, I remember I went there. You told me about it. Because mm. um, I had my name on the list. And, you know, here you only get a 30, there's only 30% chance that you can get into a birthing mm-hmm. center. Um, so I was at 12 weeks. And I remember I went to see my gynecologist and I told them you know they do the ultrasound at 12 weeks I told them I'm not getting an ultrasound and they refused to see me yeah yeah they told me if if you refuse to do the ultrasound we cannot follow up Mm -hmm. with you so I walked out I was like I'm not doing the ultrasound why can't you respect that choice Mm -hmm. it's not necessary and I don't need Mm -hmm. it and uh, I walked out and I went straight to that birthing center right after and I told them I um, I applied and I never heard back. And I want to know, like, what are my chances? And I remember I was, like, number 20-something on the waiting mm-hmm. list. And I just, I started bargaining with the, <laughs> with the receptionist. I was like, please, can you just not do an exception? And she was like, no, I really can't. And it went on for, like, a good 20 minutes. And at, by the end of it, I was about to cry. Mm-hmm. And I just told her, I told her, I cannot go to the hospital. I cannot, I'm not going to birth at the hospital. And I was about to cry and I wanted to walk out. And I told her, thank you anyways. And she saw me in that state and she told me, okay, you know what? Come back. (laughs) We'll we'll see if we can do something. Because she, she saw, you know, the desperation. You know, I think she screens (laughs) women (laughs) for yeah that kind of thing that's how I got in I was like standing there ready to cry like there's no way I'm birthing anywhere else so like this is my only option and now I know that there are other options there um, are other options yes you know just as as true and and safe and um Mm -hmm. you know like real options that are out of the system but we don't know that and I think yes. if they see that a woman is that intent on having that kind of birth, then those are also the women they want birthing there, right? Because they mm-hmm. also sometimes get women who aren't ready for that kind of experience and who end up getting transferred yeah. or whatever. So, you know, I bet you she screams for for those really, like, determined, like, fierce women. that, And they probably know that if they're not going to take them, then they might find someone underground or some other option. And... Exactly. That was my other option. Mm -hmm. It's finding someone underground, right? Uh, I even thought of the option of going to the States. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, there was no way I was going to step back in the hospital to give birth. There was absolutely no way. And you had attended hospital births after your own birth. Um, did that confirm? Yes. Did that confirm that for you? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. The way I saw women and their babies being treated, and again, I say I'm not saying that all health workers are bad or they do it intentionally. It's just the way the system is, yeah. right? They have limited resources. They have a pretty limited um, training. And that's just the way they see things. And that's just the way they think that things should be done. And it's it's not really convenient for everybody. And it leaves a lot of women scarred for life. And a lot of women, like we were talking about before, um, don't really get the chance to process their trauma. And it manifests itself in other Mm -hmm. ways, in other areas of their lives. Uh, because, like I said, just like my, my sisters and other people in our community, um, for them, this is normal. It was, it's just like an right? accepted violence that is, that's the way it is. And that's what birth yeah. is, you know? Um, yeah. So the one thing that I would like, like for all women to know is that regardless of the choices you make, and how you want to birth, just make that choice on your Mm. own. Um, Know that you have options out there, that you have rights and that you have choices and make your own choices, own them, right? And don't let anybody tell you how it's supposed to be. You're You're the one birthing. It's your body. It's your baby. You're the only one that knows what's good for you. Right? You can take other people's opinions in terms of their knowledge, and that's a very good thing to do. But at the end of the day, you're the only one to know what you need. And, you know, I find that that's a hard thing to learn sometimes, um, that trust and yeah. like that gut. And if we haven't been brought up in that and learned to stand for it, then when you start going through that system, it's, it's like an impossible time to develop it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it it is. And so it's something that like, as soon as it comes into your radar, like start learning it or teach it to your children from the moment they're born to question and to listen to their, their gut. And that, that is as strong and as valuable as any education or experience that some other human being might have. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the thing is that we're, we're conditioned to um, listen and trust the authority Mm -hmm. and that authority we've been, we've been conditioned to listen to it no matter what in schools. Mm -hmm. Um, We we listen to what the doctors say or any healthcare workers or any scientists they are the authority the government um even in your parents your grandparents Mm -hmm. um, anyone older than you we're constantly conditioned to right to listen and trust them but we're not not once in my entire life until I learned that on my Mm. own after my first birthing experience was I told to trust myself and that voice inside of me right and it's 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 a really hard thing to learn and 
I'm still learning, mm-hmm. right, every single day. But um, I mean, now that I look back at it, if it wasn't for that experience that I've had at the hospital, you know, um, I don't think I would be the same person today. I, I don't think I would be that um, strong, fierce woman mm. for myself and my family. Um, and I'm really happy that I learned so much through these experiences because I get to pass it down to my children. Yeah. Yeah. You can pass down that, that fierceness and inner strength without them having to go through, you know, trauma in the way you did, because it can end there and that skill can just be passed on. Exactly. And that's where it can end. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, as women, we're, we're, we're very strong. We are resilient and we're so emotional. We're very emotionally smart. Right. And I feel that birth makes us, if, if we birth the right way mm. um, to ourselves, like there's no right way. Each person mm-hmm. has their own truth, their own right way. Um, we start to, you know, to dig deeper into who we are and we learn so much about what we're capable of. And it's, a, it's such a, it's, it's a beautiful thing to go through as a woman to, to get pregnant and to give birth. It's such a transformative event um, if we allow it to be. Yeah. And it's so sad that a lot of women don't get to experience that because it's not allowed. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Well, May, that was so beautiful. I'm sure this will be very useful to many women um, who are not mothers yet or who have experienced something similar or, you know, birth workers. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> A few notes that May wanted to add about her first birth are that they found out from the pediatrician of the baby that the fourth degree tear was caused by an episiotomy and forceps that were used to get the baby out. Um, and there were no emergency indications that that was necessary. And it was actually not in her chart or in her records in any way. Um, And at the time, that hospital where May gave birth, uh, the Lakeshore Hospital in Point Claire on the island of Montreal, uh, was under investigation or maybe just after that time for other stories that were coming out of there. So uh, that's, that's what happened. And it was completely covered up or just not written anywhere that uh, the forceps and episiotomy were used and that she suffered a fourth degree tear. Her medical notes were completely clean.